about you were made to, and it's based off of what we are having the flyer that, we're, that we've passed out to hundreds of people, and we're going to be going door to door very soon and sharing that with them. And again, I'll just remind you, if you haven't already filled out the little sheet so we can get you on there and give me your copy of your driver's license, let's get that done quickly because I want to, we have full steam ahead with what we're doing with this. But you were made, the other side says, to belong. We often identify with groups, even with sports teams. So even if you're not in the church realm, you will identify with a group of people. We were made to identify. We're made to belong into a group. I can think of myself as a baby boy growing up into, you know, my teenage years, but particularly between birth and eight years old, my grandfather, my papa would watch the Dallas Cowboys every Sunday. And I'd crawl up in his lap, and he's chewing on a cigar, and, and I'm just watching. I don't have a clue what's going on. I don't know if they won, if they lost. All I know is Roger Staubach. You know, that's the only name that I even remember that whole time period. But I can tell you one thing. I'm a Cowboys fan. Why? Because I loved my papa. My papa loved that. He wanted to associate with that. I wanted to associate with that. And even now, moving back to Texas, even when I was in Florida, when we're traveling all over the world, it's like, where are you from? Dallas. Oh, you like the Cowboys? Yes, I do. Even when they're not doing great, right? I mean, praise God, they're doing wonderful right now. And let's send some prayers up in a few minutes. They do good again. Okay, but even when they're not doing good, don't you still say, man, I wish they're doing better, but man, through and through, I'm a Cowboys fan. I mean, that's just the way it is. Or if it's the stars, or if it's the this or that, and then we had the World Series last week, and oh my gosh, the drama that was going on, and to see those people crying in the streets because they won the World Series after 108 years, is it, Michael? You know, it's like, oh, all this drama, they belong, they associated. I heard a story of one guy that went out to his dad's grave with the radio and laid on his dad's grave because his dad never got to see the Cubs go to the World Series. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. You know, and just emotional too to think about, you know, being there and then they won. And I mean, can you imagine the emotion? We like to associate with groups. We're made to belong. We're never meant to do life all by ourselves. It was never meant to be something that we're just off here by ourselves doing something alone. In fact, God says it's not good that man should be alone. We're made to belong. So that's what we're doing with the church. A church is another avenue that we can belong. There's a place, and as we're talking, and, and when there's not as many people in here as there will be in the future, we're building the culture. So when people walk in, we know, hey, we're wanting you to associate with us. We want you to belong here. Same way someone goes into Dallas Cowboys Stadium, AT&T Stadium, and they go, man, I just love it. I just feel at home here. Man, this is just a great experience. We're made to belong. You know, it's actually the fourth part of the Passover, Seder, and it's the fourth part of the growth track, is to get you plugged in, to get you to find your place in the body of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, it actually says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves with one another. So yes, I can have a personal relationship with Jesus, just me and Jesus, and that's wonderful, and that's absolutely what we're promoting. It's absolutely what everyone should have, but that's not enough. It's enough for you and Jesus. It's not enough for you. 
it's not enough for me. We shouldn't forsake coming together. That we were made to belong. We're made to be a part of this group. And it's small in numbers now. But just think about the camaraderie that we've got. And I mentioned it before. Even when we're setting everything up and we're working hard and getting all this stuff done. The relationships that are being born out of this. and the, the, the camaraderie that's being built here. The group that we are here is just really wonderful. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, if you will, please. And we're going to go through the whole chapter, but it's going to go by pretty quick. And Michael's going to be speedy on the pro presenter. He'll be jumping right along with us. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him, Jesus, to listen to him. So here, Jesus is spending time with people who we already talked about a couple of weeks ago, the outcasts, the people that no one liked. The people that, they know they're sinners. No one had to tell them they're sinners. They are, they're very well aware of it. And they're coming out, they're coming near Jesus to listen to him. Isn't that what we all need to be doing? Both, verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees began to grumble. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Isn't that awesome? I love that when I see that in the Bible. That he's getting, Jesus is getting criticized because he receives sinners. Guess what? We want to receive sinners. Remember the four things? I'm going to keep reminding you of this forever and ever and ever, so don't get tired of hearing it. The four things, A, B, C, and D. It's on the back of the, the connection cards we've got going on right now. The four categories that everyone fits into. A, I've already accepted Christ. B, today's my day. I'm going to become a Christian today. C, I'm still checking everything out. I'm not too sure about this Jesus. I'm not too sure about this God stuff. D, I'll never become a Christian. We want all four pe- categories of people in our church. Right here, Jesus is hanging out, and he's getting criticized for being with the C's and the D's. The people that, like, I don't really know, but I still want to come listen to you. I want to kind of hear what's going on, but I'm not sure about this. And he even eats with them. So then he told them a parable. And I want to challenge you. There's actually three parables. One parable broken into three parts. Starts here in verse 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? We could say you got a hundred, you lost one, yeah, you still got ninety-nine, who cares? But you care, right? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, and he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance. Pause. Think about our intentionality. Thinking about... People have the need to belong, and they're sitting there alone, depressed, not knowing what to do, and they don't even want to leave their house. When we put intentionality to them, and one more person shows up next week, or the week after that, or the week after that, whenever I'm not in a rush for any of that, it says right there, there will be more joy in heaven over the one than if we had 99 in here 
of the A's that we're all good. Where should our focus be? On the 99 or the one? Continue on, a different side to it. Seth said there's three examples. Or, verse 8, what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the whole house, search carefully until she finds it? Have you ever lost something? You lost your phone, you lost the remote for the TV, and you just search the whole house. I mean, I get the impression that she's got a, a flashlight out and she's cleaning the whole place, you know. She's going crazy, lifting up the couch, you know, shaking out the cushions. I mean, haven't we all done that, going crazy trying to find it? You could say you got nine other coins, what do you care? You care. Verse 9, when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. For I found the coin which I've lost. Isn't it such a great sense of accomplishment? I used to bribe my kids because I would get tired of looking for things. I said, all right, I'll give five bucks to whoever can find the remote. (laughs) And they were very motivated and they always found it and I always gave them the five bucks. In the same way, verse 10, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, intentionality. Verse 11, another part of this, verse part 3. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant land. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. It literally means wasteful living. He made bad decisions. It more literally should be translated like he played the lottery, he invested in the stock market, and he lost it. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he, became, he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed the swine. Isn't it interesting that he actually had learned a work ethic from his dad, from his dad's ranch and farms, that he had enough skills. He was able to go hire himself out. He didn't sit there going, man, I might go on unemployment because I don't know how I'm going to do this. Someone better come take care of me. He went and started working. Verse 16. And he would have gladly filled his stomachs with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. You know how many people there are that feel like nobody's giving them anything? They're at the end of the end. I don't know if you guys have ever been on a pig farm. I have some friends that are ranchers. They used to raise pigs in South Texas, Central Texas. And they take all of the nastiness from the house to give to the pigs. So the milk that's spoiled and it's curdling all up, They're throwing out there, and the pigs get all excited. They start eating. It's like, how in the world can you eat that? Just nasty, rancid stuff. They're throwing all that out there, and that's what the pigs are eating. So this is the lowest of the lows of the lows, and he's so hungry, he's ready to eat that. Can you imagine being so hungry? You're ready to eat curdled milk? To quote my kids, Verse 17, but when he came to his senses, 
I don't know about you, it wouldn't take me long to come to my senses if that was my choice. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. So he had taken what was his inheritance. He had tried to leverage it, tried to do whatever he could, lost it all. Now he's destitute and he's thinking, Man, if I'm working, I should at least be working for my father because even the slaves get better benefits than what I have here. And I will get up and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Can you imagine taking your inheritance while your father and your mother are still alive and losing it all? Having to go back and face them and say, I lost it all. I know it's a parable, but we're reading into the parable what's the, think, the thoughts of it. But can you imagine that inheritance that was split between him and his brother was everything his father had worked for all his life. So you take however old his dad was, all those years of his life of saving $20 here, $20 there, and he builds it, builds it, builds it, builds it. His son comes, takes his half, and go and loses it all in a short period of time. Son, to come back and say, Dad, lost it. That'd be difficult, wouldn't it? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, and you know the story, and I love this part of it. And while he was a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, if he's living in that destitute of circumstances, if he's eating pig slop, imagine what he's looking like going home. Is he wearing a nice suit and he's got his tie and he's got everything going on? He's just, he's ratchet. He's just coming in just like, is that really my son coming down the road? But the father was just so overexcited to see him. From a long ways off, he saw him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring me the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and on the sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf, kill it. And you know the rest of the story. And the older son who was in the field, he heard about it, And said, what in the world? There's a big party going on down at the house. What's going on? And he came to the servants and he asked. He goes, what's going on? Verse 27. And they said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. And he became angry and was not willing to go in. Isn't that just like a sibling? To pout and just be all upset. I'm not going in there. You know, my dad's doing this for him. And he squandered it all. It's interesting. Verse 27, the dad found out, and he was, you know, just getting angry with his dad. Look, for the so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a commandment of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, who devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf. Well, how does he have this image in his mind that his brother was with prostitutes? And doing all this crazy living. It never says he was. 
This is all in his mind. Have you ever been there that you have this image of what's going on in somebody else's life? And you look at him and go, well, I bet you've been doing this and you've been doing that. And this is going on with you. And father said, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate for this year's brothers of yours was dead and now has begun to live. He was lost and now has been found. See, in the three phases of this parable, three different examples. Interestingly enough, this is the only one Jesus did this with. He's given you three different viewpoints of God. The hundred, one's gone. The shepherd's really happy. The lady's lost one coin. Well, it's easy to see a value on that, right? Because you know how much that coin's worth. I mean, she's searching the whole house. She feels so happy. Think about all the energy it took for that one coin to be found. Think about what the shepherd had to do. Leaving the 99 to go and search for the one. I think you might be seeing where I'm going here. And then ending with the two sons, that the one was away. And the father was overjoyed. So Jesus says, the heavens are just rejoicing over the one that comes in. More than the 99, they're just coming and just being rah, rah, rah. The lady's really excited about the one that she found instead of the nine that are still in her pocket. And the son who comes back, the father is elated and says, man, I'm giving you everything. Giving you what I've got. Man, just enter back in as sonship. God shows us in in this parable that Jesus did, the heart of God, that we put intentionality to one that's walked away, to one that's lost, and to one who's lost everything. It's so easy to see people all around us who've lost everything. People who have lost in life. Maybe they have things, but they lost in life. I talk to them every week. I'd wager that you do too. See, it's the shepherd who lost the sheep. It wasn't somebody else's job to go find that sheep. It was a shepherd. It was a woman who lost the coin. She misplaced it. Have we had a friend that we misplaced? Is there someone we used to be really close with? And through whatever circumstances, through whatever, you're not as close anymore. It was the father who lost his son. The son walked away and tried to do his own thing. Maybe there's someone in your life that has walked away as well. But the one sheep belonged with the 99. The one coin belonged with the nine. And the one son belonged to his father. Bow your head with me, please. Father, you created us to belong. You created this need inside of us that makes us want to associate in groups. People even right now are tailgating outside of AT&T Stadium. They're all wearing the same colored jerseys. They're all wearing all these things that are just promoting how much they love the Dallas Cowboys. And part of me wishes I was there too. But Lord, even beyond associating with a group that is just about a game that someone will win and someone will lose, 
and try again next week. Lord, I pray our hearts will be turned towards intentionality of the one sheep who's walked away from the 99. Maybe someone knows in this room, someone who used to go to church and got hurt in church, said, you know, I'm never going back to church again. Those people, they're hypocrites, and many are. Or maybe they know someone that's like the lost coin, that it just fell inside the couch. Just don't know what's going on with them anymore. Or maybe it's like the one son who is family and chose to walk away from God. Father, I pray that all of the faces and all the names that are popping up in our minds right now will even take the minute to write that down and to spend time praying that we put intentionality towards going after those people. The shepherd left the 99. The woman turned her house upside down. The father was standing on the porch looking. Father, I pray we go out of our comfort zones for one person this week. For just one. And that your heavens will be rejoicing when one more person decides to accept you. When one more person is coming back to you from a life that was without you. Lord, we give you all of the intentionality we're doing at this church. Lord, as we're watering the soil, as we're pouring our hearts into this. Lord, is there so much labor of love that's put into making this service happen? So many miles are being driven to come here and to see this house ready for people. I thank you, Lord, in your time you will keep bringing the one and the next one and the next one. And what a rejoice it will be for us when we see one and one and one and we start linking hands with them as we talked about before, and we see your kingdom accomplished here. Father, I pray for the school. I pray for Davis Elementary. I pray for the principal. I pray for the administrators. I pray for Robert, who's so awesome to us. Father, I pray for every teacher. I pray for every student who goes here. Father, I pray that your presence is making a difference here. Even if it's nothing we can tangibly see at this moment, I know your presence is going out. Your word says it does not leave and come back void. And Lord, that's what I'm banking on. That's what I'm believing in. But Lord, I ask you for a wonderful week for Davis. I ask you for a wonderful week for everyone that's sitting here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.